Hey, welcome to the Bridge Church Podcast. This is Josh Howerson, our senior pastor. Let me fill you in on something that's happening in the life of our church right now. We're in the middle of a season that we're calling No More Fatherless at our church, where we're embracing and pressing towards a call to do four things. To plant 20 churches in Central and South America, to set up an adoption fund that'll help the next 50 families in our church adopt children, to pay off the mortgage of a crisis pregnancy center that's going to enable them to save 200 unborn lives per year, and then to do what needs to be done to expand our Spring Hill location that's currently running five services that will set us up to reach 10,000 people for Christ in the coming years. If you, as part of the extended family of our church, would be interested in contributing to what God is doing here, you can just visit nomorefatherless.com and get more information about what's happening and how to give. That being said, let's get you to the podcast. Guys, uh, in case you uh, are maybe new with us, my name is Brandon, and uh, I'm one of the elders here at the church. And I just want to remind you that we are eight days from Christmas. You don't have to cheer if you don't feel cheery. It can mean a lot of things to a lot of people. I'm just letting you know. Eight days away. For me, that means we got to hurry. We've only done half of our Christmas series, and Christmas is eight days away. So we got to get moving. Thankfully, it's a four-week series. I think we'll be all right. So today, we're going to continue in our series. For those of us who may be a guest with us for the first time today, it is called He Shall Be Called. And in this series, we are walking through one verse from Isaiah. We're walking through one verse, and we are looking at the names that Isaiah used to describe Jesus, who he knew was coming. So that's the verse that we're going to walk through, and I want us to start by reading it together to make sure everybody is on the same page. This is Isaiah 9-6. This is the verse that our series is centered on, and it reads like this. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulders, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Beautiful. Today, we are going to be focusing on the fact that he shall be called Everlasting Father. Everlasting Father. But before we get to that, I need to remind you of some terrible things. And I'm only half joking. I'm going to remind you of some terrible things. Uh, The reason for that is uh, we're going to take the broadest possible approach to the context behind this verse as we can. Think about this. When Isaiah wrote Isaiah 9-6, when he wrote the name Everlasting Father, who was he writing to in the most general terms? People. He was writing to humans in the most general terms. And Human beings, for human beings, regardless of what century or millennium we lived in, the word everlasting really doesn't make sense. Everlasting, the word everlasting set next to the entire body of our experience and the complete history of the human race is really a fairy tale word, right? Nothing we have is everlasting. We don't experience everlastingness. We experience entropy. That's where we're going to start. So I'm going to preach in a few minutes two points about Jesus. But first, to help us think in the right direction, to help us to feel the weightiness of the name Everlasting Father, three points about entropy. 
we're going to consider the erosion of our world from three angles. Told my wife we're going to do this last night, and she said, that sounds exciting. (laughs) We're doing it anyway, all right? So let me remind you what entropy is first. This is from allaboutscience.org. Still true. While, listen, while the quantity remains the same, the quality of matter and energy deteriorates gradually over time. Usable energy is inevitably used for productivity, and in the process, usable energy is converted into unusable energy. So here's the line. Thus, usable energy is irretrievably lost in the form of unusable energy. You and I and everything that we see are made of matter. And therefore, we and everything that we see are being irretrievably lost to unusable energy. And we're going to consider that in some practical terms before we get to Everlasting Father. So first, bread goes bad. Starting big. Bread goes bad. So Monday, I went to pack my lunch, and I saw that we had an entire loaf of bread that was expiring that day. It was an inventory management problem, but we had the bread. So I ate some of the bread for lunch on Monday, but because I knew I was preaching about everlasting father, I thought, I'm going to leave that on the shelf and see what happens. I told my wife about it. She knew it was there. So I went back and checked it just six days after the expiration date this morning. It's already starting to get little white spots. Yeah, starting to get white spots. It was really weirdly damp, just wet. We know what's going to happen next. It's going to turn green. It's going to turn black. The bread is decaying because that's what bread does. That's what everything does. You can leave a banana on your shelf for two weeks and it will liquefy. You've seen it. You have liquefied a banana in your pantry before. That reality is true for our clothes, our cars, our house. We don't even have to do anything to make it happen. You can just sit in your house and eventually it would crumble around you. We know it. It's true. Everything we have is diminishing, decaying, and dying. Merry Christmas to all. (laughs) So bread goes bad, gets worse. Bodies go bad. Man, don't we know this is true too. If you're like me, you're over 30, you see this in the mirror. Our bodies are just falling apart. When I thought about this this week, I thought about my papa and his back. So my papa turned 84 years old this past week, and I called him, and when I called him, I asked him the question I always ask him, which is, how do you feel? The reason I ask him, how do you feel, is because bodies go bad. Uh, 30 years ago, when I was five years old and I would go to his house, he would immediately tackle me to the ground and sit on me and tickle me till I couldn't breathe. 30 years and 14 back surgeries later, 
If he tried to do that today, he literally wouldn't be able to get back up off the floor. 30 years ago, he was an overpowering tickle monster. And now there are days he can not even walk. Bodies go bad. We know it, we see it, we feel it. And ultimately, we know that our bodies will eventually fail completely, our hearts will stop beating, and our bodies will end. I feel like I forgot to wish you a Merry New Year's as well. Happy New Year's, guys. So, bread goes bad, bodies go bad. Lastly, loved ones go away. Man, I'll do this five times a day and I'll probably cry every time. How do we talk about this? Everybody in this room has lost someone you love. I'm sure of it. Because life leads to loss. You can't escape it. Uh, My oldest daughter had her seventh birthday party last weekend. And seven of her friends came to our house and they had a uh, princess spa dance party. Wasn't my idea. But these seven girls got together and they did their hair and their face and their nails. And then they put on Christmas or princess dresses and they twirled in our living room. And I don't know that I've ever seen my, my daughter more excited. But then the girls went home and my daughter told my wife what she wished for when she blew out her candles. I can't stop thinking about it because of this this reality that we live in. She told my wife, she said, I wished that that those girls could be my best friends forever. So cute. It won't work. We know, we know she can't have that. Entropy, human nature alone says that is an impossible wish. There's not enough candles in the world. Because life ends in death. We know it. We can't keep our things. We can't keep our bodies. We can't keep the people we love. And this reality is something that not only shapes the way we read a verse like Isaiah 9, 6. It colors, it shapes every experience in our life. The Bible knows that this is a reality. And I've taught on this verse about three years ago. And I believe Josh even may have mentioned it a couple weeks ago. But it's, it's a significant verse for for understanding the worldview of a broken world. It's Proverbs 14, 13, and it says, even in laughter, the heart is sorrowful. Doesn't that just ring true? Even in laughter, the heart is sorrowful, and the end of that mirth is heaviness, because we know there's not anything we can really keep. That's exactly what my daughter was feeling as she blew out her seven candles. I love this moment, and something deep within her was already telling her, if I don't wish for it, I can't have it again. This reality underneath our lives, even in laughter, the heart is sad, and we may not experience this any more acutely than we do on Christmas morning or Christmas Eve, if you're one of those sad strange sinners who doesn't understand 
that Christmas Eve means the day before, before the greatest day in the world. Have you no patience? <laughs> Thankfully, I was able to rescue my wife out of a Christmas Eve family and place her in a godly Christmas morning. <laughs> but this reality is something that we feel powerfully at Christmas. We're going to gather with the, in eight days, <laughs> you're going to gather with the people that you love most. And you're going you're gonna to feast, and you're going to share, and you're going to laugh, and it's going to be magical. But it's only a temporary magic, and we know it. Even in laughter, the heart is sad, because loss is coming, and it can't be escaped, and someday we won't all be together. I think about it every Christmas. Can't stop. It's just the truth. One day we won't all be together. Everything we have, our very bodies and life itself, we can't keep. We have to start there. There is nothing we have that is everlasting. But. He shall be called Everlasting Father. How absurd. We don't have anything that we can keep. We don't have anything that lasts, but his name is Everlasting Father. And so the message of Isaiah 9-6 to a people who don't have anything that we can hold on to is that there is one thing we can hold on to. There is one person who will last. There is one person that we can keep. It's the end of the first message, the start of the second message. So this is a two-point sermon today, two-word sermon today. Everlasting Father. Let's let the backdrop the most... Listen, that reality that we talked about, that is the grand narrative Reality, context behind Isaiah 9, 9 6. That is the uh, social, physiological, existential context for hearing the name Everlasting Father. So let's take that a word at a time, Everlasting Father, and let's let the words of Jesus help us understand it, okay? So here's point number one for today, for the real sermon Everlasting Father means you can keep Jesus forever. Everlasting Father means you can keep Jesus forever. Isaiah said it. Jesus confirmed it. Let's look at a conversation that Jesus had in John chapter 8 to help us understand it. So this is going to be John chapter 8, verse 30, uh, 53 through 59. And what's happening here is Jesus having an, an argument with some of the religious leaders of the day and we're jumping into the middle of the argument, but the religious leaders are talking and they say, are you greater than our father Abraham who died? And the prophets died. Who do you make yourself out to be? And Jesus answered, if I glorify myself, my glory is nothing. It is my father who glorifies me of whom you say he is our God. But you have not known him. I know him, Jesus says. 
If I were to say that I do not know him, I would be a liar like you. Pretty hardcore. But I do know him and I keep his word. Your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day. Huh. He saw it and was glad. So the Jews said to him, you are not yet 50 years old. And have you seen Abraham? And Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. Not I was, I am. Everlasting. So here we have Jesus arguing with these Pharisees. And you'll notice that the Pharisees, they... They called Abraham, Father Abraham. You saw that? And that's because in a a physical and and, in an ancestral and in a a spiritual sense, they are the descendants of Father Abraham. You'll remember back in Genesis chapter 12, God came to Abraham and said, I will make you a great nation and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So God promised him a great nation. God told Abraham three chapters later in Genesis 15 that he would have descendants like the numbers of the stars. But then the big one is in Genesis 17. God said, and I will establish my covenant between me and you and your offspring. And after you throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and to your offspring after you. So these religious leaders having this argument with Jesus about, they're arguing about the authority of Jesus compared to the authority of Abraham, and they really are the descendants, both spiritually and physically, of Father Abraham. But who is Jesus? He's the God who made the covenant with Abraham. He's standing there speaking with the authority of himself, He's speaking with the glory and the authority of the God of the universe, but the, the, these Pharisees, they can't understand it. They just see a man standing in front of them, and it doesn't compute. How can you speak with the glory and the, the authority, not just of our father Abraham, but of our heavenly father God? And so they say to him, essentially, who do you think you are? They say, are you greater than our father Abraham? And Jesus answered back strong, and he said, Abraham rejoiced that he would even see my day. That's so cool. He saw it, Jesus said, and was glad. So catch that. Jesus is telling these religious leaders that he knew how Abraham felt about him thousands of years before. He said, listen, guys, Abraham was pretty excited about me, actually, and I counted it for him as righteousness. He says, Abraham knew me. Well, then the Pharisees, they're very perplexed by this. They're incredulous. They say, you're not even 50 years old. How can you know? How have you seen Abraham, it says. But Jesus wasn't finished. This is where in their minds, Jesus moves from being a crazy person who's talking like he's been around for millennia to a heretic who's talking about being God Because Jesus' response to that question was, truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. So that's the conversation. And it finishes with Jesus, God in the flesh, looking into the eyes of the descendants of Abraham and saying, I'm not just older than Abraham. I just am. 
I am. See, the Pharisees didn't know who they were talking to. You'll remember back in Exodus 3, God spoke with another descendant of Abraham at a burning bush. And God told Moses to go rescue his people. And Moses asked God the question, who shall I say sent me? And God answered, God said, say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent you. So Moses wanted a name. I am. The Pharisees wanted a birth certificate. I am. Jesus is saying, you don't understand. I don't have an age. I just am. I am means I always exist. I am the existing one. And Jesus here is verifying Isaiah's long written word that he is everlasting. He is I am. Let me help us understand this by talking about magic books. Thank the Lord. So my favorite fiction writer uh, of all time, sadly, is Brandon Sanderson. And uh, I've talked about Brandon Sanderson with a few of the enlightened members of our church body. Um, But Brandon Sanderson is a science fiction and magic-based fiction writer. If you don't think that's cool, you're right. (laughs) But I do happen to know that our senior pastor, Josh, has not only read Brandon Sanderson, but he is currently reading The Stormlight Archives by Brandon Sanderson. I mean, I told him to, but he's doing it. So Brandon Sanderson uh, has, has developed, has created not just a fictional world, but a fictional Cosmere. We're going there. So a Cosmere in Brandon Sanderson's mind is a collection of worlds, and each of these worlds have their own gods, their own heroines, their own heroes, their own customs, their own stories, their own struggles. Could be billions of people and thousands of gods and heroes represented across the Cosmere. There's even 16 nearly all-powerful gods called shards spread across Brandon Sanderson's Cosmere. And each one of these shards wield their magic in a uniquely awesome way. And I'm so glad I get to tell you this. Here's my question. We'll get off this. Who is the necessary being in that context? In a world of gods, in a world of thousands of heroes, who is the one necessary being? Who is the before everything was, I am in this scenario? It's Brandon Sanderson. He's the author, he's the creator. All the characters come from him. He decides who lives and dies. He's the one telling the story. He's the one sustaining the story. He is the necessary being because he rules from outside of the story. You get that? Now, now we're going to be pretty philosophical. So try to track with me on this because I want to share with you a famous proof for the existence of God that that will help us understand this. So Here's how that goes in three points. Watch. Just like the Brandon Sanderson Cosmere, our real universe 
has a cause. Two, there cannot be an infinite regression of causes. That means you can't go back and back forever with things causing other things. Something had to start this, right? So number three, there must be an uncaused first cause. You tracking? The universe had a cause. There cannot be an infinite regression of causes, so there must be an uncaused first causer. God. The uncaused causer of everything. This is not fiction. This is not finite. This is the real universe, and what you need to see is underneath our universe is true infinity, is real infinite power. So let's jump off from that logic. Keep staying with me. So if God is the uncaused first causer, that means that at one point before he made everything that there is, he was all there was. Everything that is now that was not is because he made it is, right? And he did so out of nothing but his power and his power alone because there was nothing else for it to come from because he was all there was when he caused all there is. That means logically that he is by default infinitely powerful. There is no other power in existence. It was all him. So anything that has power only has the power that he gave it when he made it out of himself. So that means there can be no threat to his power. There can be no threat to his existence. It's impossible. He just is existence. He can't not exist. He can't not be all powerful. It's simply a default part of his nature. He is necessarily necessary. It's amazing. He is the infinitely powerful. He is the great I am. He is the first the uncaused first causer of everything, the everlasting one, Isaiah says. And I said all of that for the last 15 minutes just so I could say this. Jesus Christ isn't going anywhere. He can't. He, his name is I always exist. He has all the power. And that's not, listen, that's not just philosophically interesting. That's just not theologically true. That matters for your soul this Christmas. In eight days, in eight days, you're going to gather with your loved ones. And in a church our size, I don't know how many families this will mean. But for the first time ever, someone you love won't be at the tree. It's real. So that's the world we live in. Somebody you love isn't going to be there. I'll be with my dad for the first time since he doesn't have any parents. And he'll be, crying, he'll be trying not to cry beside the tree. I know it. They're gone, and your loved ones, they're gone. Jesus, 
is everlasting. Jesus will never miss a Christmas. He's been at all of them, and he'll be at all of them because he is everlasting. Before Abraham was, I am. After grandma and grandpa, I am. After mom and dad, I am. After, my goodness, after son and daughter, even, I am. So everlasting father means you can keep Jesus forever. It's pretty good. Number two. Everlasting father means Jesus can keep you forever. Jesus can keep you forever. Jesus isn't just forever. He keeps us forever. And let's hear from him again in John chapter 10. Check this out. This is very similar. He's talking to the Pharisees yet again, religious leaders yet again. So the Jews gathered around him and said to him, how long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Christ, tell us plainly. And Jesus answered them, I told you, and you do not believe. The works that I do in my father's name bear witness about me, but you do not believe because you are not part of my flock. My sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me and I give them eternal life. What? And they will never perish. That doesn't even sound right. They will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My father who has given them to me is greater than all and no one is able to snatch them out of the father's hand. I and the father are one. So important. Everlasting father. If you've been wondering this whole time how Jesus could be called everlasting father, he solves that mystery for us right there. I and the Father are one. And here in this John chapter 10 conversation, Jesus is telling the Jews yet again, yes, I am God. But this time he doesn't just tell them he is God. He tells them why he came as God into their world in the first place. And it's the greatest news that we can ever hear. But let's go back to Brandon Sanderson for just a second. Just a second. He's the author of A Magical Universe but I want to ask you a question. Can he put himself in his universe? No. He could write himself into the story. There could be a character named Brandon Sanderson at some point. But he can't really put himself into the world because the world isn't real and his power isn't real. But that idea is exactly what we are talking about when we come to Christmas. That is what Christmas is really all about. The God of the universe wrote himself into the story because he wanted our story to end in happily ever after. We are broken and sinful people. We are weak, temporary people, and we know it. But Jesus said, I am the Father, are one, and I am here that you will never perish. He can keep us forever. Uh, Joe Rigney, he's a professor at Bethlehem Seminary, and he wrote about this idea, and it's so beautiful that I thought I would just read it to you rather than trying to say something not as beautiful. So let me read this to you. He says about this idea, this brings us to Christmas. This is what the incarnation is all about. The author of the story becoming not just a character, but a human character. God is the storyteller 
and the main character. He is the bard and the hero. He authors the fairy tale, and then he comes to kill the dragon and get the girl. Or the boy. God comes down in the person of Jesus of Nazareth, draws to himself all the sin and shame and rebellion and hate and sickness and death, and swallows it whole. And he swallows it by letting it swallow him. But three days later, he bursts from the spiced tomb, commissions his disciples, ascends to his throne where he sits until all of his enemies are subdued under his feet. It's amazing. The everlasting one entered your story to be the sacrifice for us so that he could be our father forever. And here's how I want us to finish. I want us to remember that he did that at great cost to himself. He entered our story so that we could never perish at great cost to himself. And that's how we can know. That's how we can know that God really does want us forever. Yes, there's nothing else we can truly have. There's nothing else that we can really hold on to, but How can we know that this isn't just a name? It's not just a name, Everlasting Father. How can we know that he means it? How can we know when we're holding back the tears beside the Christmas tree that God really does want to hold on to us forever? There was one moment in all of history when Jesus, both his everlastingness and his oneness with the Father were called into question. One moment in all the world where Jesus laid aside both his infinite power and his unity with the Father. Jesus said that we would never perish, but when we look to the moment of the cross, we know It doesn't just confirm that we can never perish. It confirms how serious he is about loving us forever. The great I am died so that whosoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. Crazy. It's crazy. So can we we hold on to anything one thing we can keep. Can we know that the God of heaven and earth wants to hold us forever? The cross of Christ cries out the loudest yes your heart will ever hear. Yes, there is one thing that you can hold on to. Yes, there is one who's holding on to you. Yes, you will be loved. You will live in joy forever. Jesus came and lived and died and rose so that we could have him and he could have us forevermore. Everlasting Father. It is not just a name. It is the core reality of our lives and it is something that we can rest in this Christmas. Let's talk to the Lord about that together. If you'll go ahead and close your eyes. Thank you guys there's anyone here, man, there is, there's someone here, 
maybe multiple someones here who does not have a relationship with God through the work of Jesus Christ on the cross. And you're, I hope right now you're feeling how temporary you are. You're a moment away from meeting him at any moment. You're temporary. You cannot last. But if you've ever wondered if God really loves you, he came as the author, as the creator, as the one all-powerful being and put himself into our world to die for you. You weren't good enough to even die for yourself. But Jesus lived the life we couldn't live and he died the death we couldn't die so that you could have him forever. Jesus was separated from the Father so that you wouldn't have to stay separated from the Father. And all you have to do is ask. Ask him to save you, ask him to rescue you, ask him to give you his righteousness in exchange for your unrighteousness, to give you his life in exchange for yours. We already know the answer is yes. He showed it on the cross. For you, my brothers and sisters who do know the everlasting father, let's just tell him thank you together. What a thing. great I am, knows who you are, and wants you with him forever. Let's tell him thank you. Let's ask him to melt our hearts with that truth. Father, it doesn't make any sense. We are weak. We are prone to wonder. And you are totally outside of everything. You're totally beyond anything we can even comprehend. And yet you love us and you came to take our place. Thank you for being everlasting and thank you for loving us as a father and thank you for joy in you forever. And I pray for the hearts in this room, this Christmas season, that they would rest in your name. They would rest in your name. That they would be held even now by the truth that you will hold them forever, that you will keep us forever, that nothing can threaten you. Thank you for being all powerful in us. Thank you for loving us extravagantly and help us to love you back in the name of Jesus, we pray.